Okay. Good morning. Settle down, settle down. We'll get there. Good morning. Good morning. As full as we are, it never ceases to amaze me that the front row still has seats. So I know there's some people sitting in the foyer. If you want to, I won't spit on you, I promise. That actually isn't a promise. <laughs> hey, uh, it is good to see all of you. Thank you for your energy. Thank you for being here. Uh, man, can we just, can we give the Lord a round of applause for just leading us in worship? And <clears throat> Really good. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name's Jesse. I'm part of the team here. And um, if you are visiting or you're new and you're looking for a church in your front pocket, of your seat, if you're not in the front row, uh, is a card that has information all about us. You can feel free to take that. Uh, it has a little QR code on there, connects you to all our social media, our webpage, uh, and all of the information that we have out there. We're connected in all the ways digital, of course, uh, and so I want to encourage you to just kind of see what's happening. Fall is coming, believe it or not, and we all know what <laughs> some mixed responses there. With fall comes all of our programs really start to kick off. Uh, our Awana program, which needs more volunteers. Ben then leads that. Ben, if you're looking to serve kids on Tuesday evenings, that's Ben back there. Hey, Ben, you got to do me a favor. Everyone, everyone has to see you loaded with both your guns. Could you stand up so everyone can see you loaded with both your guns? Yeah. Those are his six shooters right there. Uh, he leads our Awana program because he's not busy enough. And, uh, and if you're looking to volunteer, connect with that bearded wonder. And he, he's a wonderful blessing to our church. Uh, that's Tuesday nights. And for your kids, that's a great place to plug in and grow in the Lord. That's coming up. Out on the deck, if you're a gal, during September, the 22nd through the 23rd, we're doing a women's conference on those two days here. Uh, we'd ask you to sign up for that out there if you have the opportunity to do so and you want to join us. Wonderful time to connect with some other ladies and some wonderful teaching. Uh, and then on a, on, on a praise side of things, uh, last weekend we had our church picnic, so hopefully you joined us there. I, I shared a number that was a little bit uh, of an evangelist kind of a number. I said that we had 600 pounds of tri-tip. I was, I was off by 400 pounds. So... <laughs> There, there was 200 pounds of tri-tip. I just want to make sure we're, you know, you know I'm honest with numbers because a, a real number, uh, last between last Sunday, uh, and then I did some more baptisms with a group of folks from our church uh, last weekend, uh, uh, during the week, I'm sorry, Wednesday, at Emerald Bay, which was really neat to do to get down there. And, and so all in all, this year alone, uh, the, the Lord has allowed us to be part of 37 baptisms at our church. It's sacred. <clears throat> that's, that's wonderful. Really, seriously, just a, what a blessing. And, and then in addition to that, just to let you know too, we never really mention giving here all that often. If you notice, we don't pass a plate. We rely on the Lord. Just so you know some of the history of that. Prior to me, when Wayne Hoig moved here uh, so many years ago, we won't say how long ago, because we want to be respectful. And when he came, this church was in debt. 
it wasn't paying its power its power bills we were financially really in a bad place church was obviously much smaller than it is today and, uh, and, and he made a step of faith, stopped passing the plate, said, listen, the Lord wants to save the church. The Lord's going to save the church. Put the offerings in the back, trusting the Lord with that. And we've had that same kind of tradition, if you want to call it that. And we have zero debt. We, we are generous with our finances and our funds, like feeding you tri-tip. But we have a benevolence fund. We support missionaries. We obviously do a ton of ministry work here in the community. We try to make almost all of our events free, if not almost free. Uh, and so we just want to make note every now and then we just want to r- remind you that, that yeah, we, you can give to our church. That is something that the Lord is still into. Uh, and for those of you who are part of our church family, the last several years from COVID on, we have, we have literally, the, the Lord has brought in more funds, more resources year after year, uh, every year, except for this year. This year, we're a little lower. Just want to make you aware of that. No guilt trip on that. I think that's actually to be expected because I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not, but everything's a little bit more expensive. Has anyone noticed? Uh, and so I just want to make you aware if the Lord leads on your heart. You know, we, we do have a budget we're trying to meet and all those different things. Our fiscal year budget for a church, uh, for our church, is October to October. So we'll be redoing our budget here coming soon. Uh, and just want to make you aware of that because you, you are the ones that make the, the ministry here happens, whether it's volunteer work or whether it's through your finances or your generosity. And so I just want to give you a big thank you. 37 baptisms is part of that fruit. God has been generous and gracious. And so when I share anything about finances, it's not because we're worried, because God has provided for this church and grown this church year after year, year after year, and we're just thankful to be a part of it. Amen? So we're in the book of Ephesians, uh, if you haven't been with us. So go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Do you want to read along with us? Uh, you, you can borrow one of ours. You can keep this as a gift from us if you, if you want to, uh, but want to make sure that you can read along. If you don't know where Galatia, uh, Ephesians is, sorry, nudge your neighbor. They'll, they'll show you. If they don't know, your next neighbor will show you. Uh, and, and I've realized I had to cave in. You know, I'm, I'm 44 years old. I know that's young for some, uh, but I, I, am, I am maturing and I am growing, and it has become very evident that I needed to upgrade my Bible to a larger font size. So... so <laughs> I have a new Bible. It's much bigger than my other one. Yeah, much bigger. So it makes me holier and older. <laughs> holier and older here. So, uh, and, and, and just by the way, too, some, you know, some churches are like, don't ever use a Bible app. But I've learned from those congregants of ours with eye, eye problems like myself that on those apps, you can make the font as big as you want. And so no judgment. God's word is God's word, whether it's in your iPad or in a piece of paper. I just want you to read it. The Lord just wants you to read it and see him in it. So uh, that's wonderful news there. Amen. Okay. So I get to try out my new Bible for the second time, uh, put some new notes in here and and we'll see how messy I can make it. Sometimes I mark my Bible up so much that when I read it to you, I have a hard time finding the words and that is the truth. So with that said, we love God's word. We honor God's word. If you are with us, you know that we have a tradition to stand during, during the reading of God's word. So if you're able to do that this morning, I want to encourage you to stand with me as we read from Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. Ephesians 4, verse 17. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord. That you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and they've given themselves up to sensuality, 
greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and you were taught in him, the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to the former, your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put off, I'm sorry, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Lord, this is your word. You are the one who penned it through the Holy Spirit to imperfect men, but they are perfect words. And we know that your word doesn't return void. And so we ask this morning that it would indeed do something to us, to our very souls, that you would grow us into your likeness, that you would encourage us if we need encouragement and to rebuke us if we need rebuke, to heal us where needed. All of these things are not because I as a pastor have any power at all, but rather because you are the creator of all things and you are in the business of healing and redeeming people. And so we trust you to do the work that you've always been doing. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. And please be seated. I've titled the message this morning, Living Like Everything is New. Now, if you remember the context of where we've been, Paul literally basically told us last week that we've been given certain gifts to use in the church. That we're to use these gifts. And in using the gifts that God has given us, whatever that gift may be, each one of us has a gift and we should be using that gift. And we grow as we serve. But it also shared with us that God has given us five different offices in the church. Pastors, prophets, evangelists, teachers. And all of these particular individuals that God has given the church, like myself, are a gift to the church to help equip the church to do the work of the ministry. A part of the text and context is that we would grow, that we would be mature in Christ, that we wouldn't be babies tossed to and fro by every wind and doctrine that exists out there. And if there is ever a time where a lot of doctrine was out there that is going to toss you to and fro, this would be the time. There's all kinds of scary little things you can fall into, traps, teachers that come off great, but in reality, they're not teaching scripture and they're not teaching Jesus. And because of this, Paul now gets into this place and and he says, if you look in verse 17, right at the beginning, he says, now now I say this because of your growth, because of the gifting, because you should be maturing, because you should be grounded in the word. He says, I say this now. Now I'm going to keep going with my thought is what he's saying. And I testify in the Lord. And that word testify literally literally means that that he's giving uh, authority to. He's testifying. He's giving strength. He's saying, what I'm about to say is emphasized. What God wants to say is important here. And he begins this conversation now where he talks about that we shouldn't be like the Gentiles and we should put on certain things and take off certain things. He's talking about spiritual clothing. The Bible actually has a lot to say about spiritual clothing. Before I say that, culture has a lot to say about clothing just in general, don't they? Uh, Mark Twain, actually, a great quote, which he actually took from some other philosophers uh, before him. He, he said this, he said, clothes make the man. Naked people have little or no influence in society. <laughs> There's some truth to that, I guess, right? Now, now for those of you who like football, and I've, I've come to learn that whenever I talk about football, our congregation isn't as big of football fans as I am, but I'm going to keep belaboring it until you buy into it. But I'm going to quote an individual who's known as one of the best cornerbacks in football, one of the flashiest guys in football. You may have heard of his name, 
Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders had a line that he, because he was known for looking pretty when he, when he uh, dressed up. He put a, a thing around his neck and he had bands. And I mean, he was decked out to the nines. And, and when he was asked about that, he said this. He said, if you look good, you feel good. If you feel good, you play good. And if you play good, they pay good. Now, I, over the last 20 years of ministry, I have experienced this great reality that people will judge you by what you wear, which is always kind of funny because there's nothing in the text of the Bible that actually really says that you should, you know, dress yourself a certain way other than for those uh, of us who are ladies that we wouldn't dress in a way that draws attention to our bodies or to your body. But even John the Baptist, he comes on the scene and he's wearing camel's hair, right? And they criticized him. Because he decided, John the Baptist decided not to eat a normal diet, and he decided not to drink alcohol. And so they criticized his clothing, they criticized his diet, they criticized the fact that he was out in the wilderness, and he was separated from the rest of society. And then Jesus comes along, and Jesus is literally baptized by this hairy man who, wear, who has a big beard, locusts and honey. I always picture him with honey stuck in his beard, little wings sticking out and whatnot, right? And, and Jesus comes, and he's wearing rabbinical clothing. He's wearing the most prestigious clothing that you can. And we know this because the lady who had a bleeding issue for years touches the hem of his garment. It's literally the tassels that the, the Hebrew priests the, 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 that would wear, the rabbis would wear. And that's what she reached out for and touched just the hem of it, and she was healed. And they criticized Jesus. They called him a drunkard. They, they, they criticized him, even though he came across and looked great. And, and over the 20 years of ministry, man, I've had all kinds of comments on what I have worn uh, on the pulpit. In fact, even from several of you, uh, if I stand out there and greet you as I do almost every single Sunday, if I wear a t-shirt, some of you will say, you're not preaching today, I guess. <laughs> and sometimes, I'll, I, I've said it before, I'll wear a t-shirt just to throw you off, just to and still come up on stage, or I'll say, no, I'm not preaching, and then I come up and show that I'm a liar, right? The individuals, people in society judge from the exterior. God judges the heart, and the, the Bible has a lot to say about your clothing. It does, spiritual clothing, but the reason we judge from physical, from the physical clothing, is because of the fall in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. You see, in Genesis 1, mankind is made perfect. They're in unity with God, and they're naked. Adam and Eve are nude. And they're nude because God is their covering. God is their protector. God is the one that they're dependent upon. And we're literally told as they walked in that beautiful garden with God, they were unashamed. And as soon as they sinned and they bit of that apple and they turned from God's ways, shame came. And the first act that Adam and Eve did in their sin is they hid in the garden from God himself. They tried to cover themselves. Because now they knew their shame. They knew their vulnerability. That's what sin does. It, it shows our vulnerability. It shows our nakedness. And all of us, even to this day, whether it's the clothing you wear or the car you drive or the house that you may buy, it's all an act to cover up your real guilt and your real shame. If it's not done within the context of Christ, it's our way of trying to clothe ourselves. And what Paul essentially is trying to say to the Ephesians here is, is just like when a soldier or a fireman or a policeman or an astronaut get into that kind of job, they put on a certain kind of clothing, a distinct uniform. And that uniform tells us that they have new responsibilities corresponding to the new identity that they've just taken. 
And likewise, as Christians, we are, and we've been told this in Ephesians time and time again, chapter 1 through 3, all about positional, gracious truth that God has given us. We are clothed in Christ. We have a new identity. And we're to be that Christian and place that identity upon us that we've received this new spiritual identity that now corresponds with new responsibilities. And that's what Ephesians 4 through 6 is. We have new responsibilities. Here he tells us, you're not to walk. You're not to walk like the Gentiles. That word walk literally means the way in which one lives his life. The way in which somebody plans out how they live. That we're not to walk like the Gentiles. He's not saying specifically, well, he is saying specifically of the Gentiles in Ephesus. Because the Gentiles in Ephesus were walking in all kinds of sin, all kinds of manner of disgustingness. He's saying you don't walk like them, but he's also telling us today, don't walk like the rest of the world. Don't look like, don't talk like, don't, don't do the things the world does. Don't spend your money the way that the world does. And the encouragement in this particular passage is that we would put on Christ, receive that new spiritual identity, walk with those new responsibilities, and, and then likewise put off the old garment and the old self and put on the new garment, which is now the light of our identity. We're to wear who God is. Now, the Old Testament has a lot of different ways to say this. In fact, God tells Job in the book of Job, chapter 40, verse 10, he tells Job, adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Adorn yourself. That, that you could say, is a commandment for the church today as well. How does one adorn themselves with majesty and dignity? Clothe yourself with the glory and the splendor that comes from God, is what Job is being told. Now, the psalmist in Psalm 93, as well as Psalm 104, tells us that the Lord, the Lord reigns and he's robed in majesty. The Lord is robed, it says, in majesticness. It also tells us that God himself has put on a belt of strength. It tells us something about God's clothing. In fact, if you go into Revelations, you can literally see the language that's used when Christ comes back to the earth, that he's riding a white horse and he's clothed in white robes with a sword coming out of his mouth. Because he's splendor, he's majestic, he's holy, he's white. Psalm 104 says, bless the Lord my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great because you are clothed with splendor and majesty. I hope you can see the importance of spiritual clothing. And what we're being told in Ephesians, again, we are in Christ. You are to put this on. You're to put on his majesty, put on his glory, put on his dignity. The New Testament has all kinds of ways of saying this as well. Colossians chapter 3, which is the sister book to Ephesians, says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self, with its practices, and you put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Do you hear it in Colossians? He's saying that, that we have to take off the old self, put away the old self, put away the old spiritual clothing, and put on this new clothing, which is, which is majestic and holy and pure. Let me ask you this question this morning. How are you walking? Are you walking in old clothes? Are you walking in new clothes? Romans 13 says the night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness. Now the wording in Romans here, cast off means to violently throw. It's literally saying you've got dirty clothes on. You've been rolling around in the muck and the mire. Violently get that off of you. Get it off of you and put on instead the armor of light. 
He uses the same language that he uses here as well when he uses this word walk. He says, let us walk properly as in the daytime. And then he, he gives us some specifics. And they're hard to hear. They may be hard for you to read this morning. They may be hard for you to hear. That we're to walk in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us the old clothing. It's a sinful lifestyle. It's a lifestyle that's not marked by a life of Christ. It's not healthy. You won't grow. You won't mature. You'll end up being, as it said in the last portion of the text, like a child tossed to and fro by every wind, every doctrine, every teaching that exists in the world. And that isn't just cultish teaching. Our society is trying to teach you something when you're scrolling through Facebook, when you are looking at Instagram or you are on Twitter or whatever the heck it's called now. Whenever you're scrolling through these things, when you're driving and you're listening to the radio or, 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 or if you're driving by and you see a particular billboard, we're told that the one who rules over this earth, that is Satan, he literally is trying to teach you something. And the main lesson he's trying you to, to teach you is to live for your flesh and gratify its desires. He's trying to teach you to live in old, dirty clothing. Again, Galatians tells us, as many of you were baptized into Christ... We celebrated that last week. What were we celebrating? 37 individuals, 37 souls, 37 people made in the image of God because they've put on Christ. Baptism is an act of showing that we're clothed by the pure water, the pure gift that is Jesus. So what does old clothing look like? I mean, Paul tells us what happens if we put on this old clothing. First of all, he says, don't walk this way anymore, right? That's the commandment. No longer put it behind you. And any of you who have been saved for any length of time, any of you who, who have especially gotten saved after you were 20, you know something happens to you when you become a Christian, don't you? I mean, I'm a guy that, that I grew up, I grew up, and I, 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 it happened to me in the second service, happened to me in the first service, sitting in the front row, both of those last songs that, that the worship band led us into, I was just moved into tears and just because God was telling me as an individual, and I hope you felt it too, that the Lord loves me and I'm his child and he's pleased with me, even if I do a crummy job preaching this morning. Because my love, his love for me is not conditioned off of how well I preach or how smart I am or how even pure I am. His love is conditioned because of, of, of his son. And I'm moved to tears because of that worship. Now, now you have to understand something because there was a time where I couldn't stand listening to worship songs. Right? I grew up in the 90s. I used to listen to NWA. And if you don't know what NWA is, good for you. Praise the Lord. <laughs> don't Google it. Don't look it up. Don't go on iTunes on the radio and be like, I wonder what this NWA is about. I see a couple of you going, what is that? Just ignore that I said it. You're going to be tipped to check it out. And then you're going to be like, wow, Jesus does save the worst of the worst. Coming from that kind of background and listening to that kind of music and those kind of things that only, only are the things that glorify Satan and not God. Now my mind is in a place where I, I love a good worship song. I love when I hear God being glorified. I, I love it when the worship team finds ways in the song to where literally the thing that's emphasized is our voices, not the band. No smoke, no smoke, no no lights, no dancing, no overshowing. Just the focus is Christ. That's what happens. Something new occurs, and you get a new way of life. 
And sometimes as Christians, though, we forget our identity and we still can live trapped in this old lifestyle, in this old kind of living, in these old kind of clothes. This idea of walking is really important. Second Corinthians tells us that we're to walk, live our lives by faith, not by sight, not by the physical, not by the exterior. John chapter 6, verse 66, 666. I don't think it's, it's coincidental, but literally that particular text tells us beforehand that Jesus declares that he's the bread of life, that you're not to live by physical bread, physical sight, but you're to live on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Once Jesus made that declaration that physicalness isn't what matters, it's the spirit that matters, and that if you're going to live a life of fruitfulness, you must feed on Christ. And in that particular passage, it tells us that after he said that, many of his disciples turned their backs and no longer walked with him. Let's be honest and true this morning. God's word can be offensive, and sometimes it should be offensive. In fact, one of the passages that really exudes what it looks like to live in old clothing is Romans chapter 1. It's a hard passage. One of my favorite reasons for someone leaving our church let that hang on there for a moment. People leave church for all kinds of reasons. Some people are hurt by the church. Some people don't like the worship. Some people don't like the fact that there's kids ministry. Some people think the pastor's whack, whatever it may be. Some of it is legitimate even. But this particular instance was a message that I had preached and I had preached on Romans chapter one and I read Romans chapter one and the individual came to me and said, I'm leaving the church and I'm never coming back because of what you said. And I said, what did I say? And she said, well, it wasn't so much what you said. It was when you read Romans chapter one. I went, cool, no problem, right? You're not gonna crush my identity. I didn't say it, God said it. Because in that particular passage, it tells us what it looks like to live a life of sensuality. We live in a world today that says it's okay to walk as you want to walk. It's okay to do whatever you want to do. But Romans tells us that we were buried into Christ's death, clothed in, clothed in Christ's death. We've been raised with him, it says. Romans 6, 4 literally says that he did this for us, that we might walk in the newness of life, not in the oldness of life. And Paul tells us exactly what happens when you live with old clothing. I'm hoping the Lord liberates you from that this morning. That you would see today as a day for you to take off wrong thinking and the dirty rags that you've used to identify yourself. That God no longer wants you to walk as the Gentiles, to think as the Gentiles. Look at what he says. Look at verse 17. It's the first one. Verse 17 says, Don't walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. The first thing that happens with your old clothing is your mind, your thinking becomes futile. That's what he says. What is futility? Futility, futility literally means that, it's, that your thinking, your mind is, is closed off. It's now useless. It's devoid. It's depraved. It has no vigor, no truth. Literally part of the definition of futility is that which fails to produce the desired result. How many people in our culture are living like the insane, doing the same thing over and over and over again, hoping for the result to be happiness or joy or peace? Look around at our world. Are we more peaceful? Are we more gentle? Are we more praiseworthy? Are we worthy of consideration to say we're one of the best societies to ever live? Absolutely not. 
People in our society who walk as the Gentiles, who clothe themselves in sin, who have distanced themselves from God, now are thinking they cannot, they cannot hear or, or know the things of God. Their mind is closed off. But he doesn't end there. The first point, he says basically that a society of people like the Gentiles who don't follow God, they're mindless. But he goes even further. He, 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 he goes even further in his definition of what happens to those of us who refuse to walk in the newness of Christ. He says they are darkened in their understanding. They're sightless. They can't only intellectually understand the things of God. They can't see the things of God. And when you become a Christian and you put your faith in Christ, you see forgiveness in a new way, compassion in a new way. You, you want to handle your money differently. You want to live differently. You want to raise your kids differently. I remember there used to be a lot of Christian families. That's probably when Wayne was the pastor. He'll, he'll tell you the story of this, of, of kind of the, the battle between parents who sent their kids to public school and the battle of parents who sent their kids to homeschool. You know what's happened by and large now, don't you? Almost all of us have said, I cannot send my child to public school and allow them to take over the education of the identity of my child. We're now in a place where we realize and recognize that, that the culture is trying to shape the child's mind for the future of humanity. Is it going to be for the better? I say no. Now, I'm not going to say you shouldn't send your kids to public school. I think there is a place for our parents to send their kids that they know they're going to be stand strong to be a light in a dark place. I don't think one is better than the other. I think that the parent has to decide what is right for their child, what is best for their child, and that their responsibility as a parent, just so you know, your responsibility as a parent is to ensure that your children go, grow up with an opportunity to see God and not to have their minds closed off to the things of God. Society wants to darken the understanding, darken the mind. The moral light is not on for the Gentile. They are blacked out in their sin and they are now malfunctioned in the way that they think. The great, well, one of the great Greek philosophers, his name was Heraclitus, he said of Ephesus, this is not even a Christian, this is a philosopher. As he looked into Ephesus, this is the place that this letter was written to, these people, this people group. He said this of Ephesus. There is darkness and vileness in Ephesus. The morals in Ephesus were lower than animals, and the inhabitants of Ephesus were fit only to be drowned. In Ephesus, there literally was a temple, the goddess of Aphrodite, who literally is the goddess of sensuality, the goddess of sex. It, it, and I don't mean to be crude, but this is the reality that many parents would send their children to that particular temple of Aphrodite. And when they sent their child to that temple of Aphrodite, they did so, so that, that the child would sleep with a prostitute so that that way the goddess would then allow their family to be fruitful and to multiply. And we may look at a society like that and say, that's so disgusting and that's so gross. But we still worship Aphrodite in our culture today, don't we? It does not take much to scroll on any place on the internet to not see that our culture has chosen to worship human sexuality, to do whatever you want with the body. It doesn't matter what you do with the body is what society says. And the Bible is saying it does matter. Your body is made in the image of God. Because not only do you become mindless and sightless, 
but you also become relationshipless. Do you see what it says there? They're alienated from the life of God. This, this part of the passage breaks my heart. When our minds are closed off to God and when we're wearing the clothing of our sin, we become alienated. We don't have a relationship with him. We don't have the life of God. We're excluded from the life of God. And that saddens me because every one of us bear the mark and bear the image of God himself. Do you know that? You are valuable to the Lord. You bear his image. And and to throw our bodies into any place that we want, to do whatever we want, it's to mar the image of God instead of connecting with the Lord. This is one of the reasons why churches are and should be pro-life because every single child matters to Jesus. They're precious in his sight. The Bible literally says that, 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 that we're conceived. We are, we are right at the moment of conception. That is when life is there. That is when the image of God breathes into the human. We become mindless, we become sightless, but we also become people of a lack of self-control. It's right there. Alienated from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. You see it, their heart is hard. Their mind is hard, their heart is hard. They're closed off to the things of God. They don't wanna hear scripture. They don't wanna worship songs. They want sensuality. They wanna please the flesh. And it tells us in verse 19, they've become callous and that they have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to every practice, every kind of impurity. You see it? This is, this is what happens to a society that turns its back on God. It's what happens to a person when they turn their back on God. If you no longer feel or sense conviction for sin, you should be very worried because it means your heart has grown hard. If you don't like a good little rebuke every now and then, you know what? You should come to church to worship Jesus, experience Jesus, but you should also come in hopes that God would illuminate in your life the sin that is actually destroying you and taking away your identity. One of the best things you can hear on church is repent from your sin, which is to walk away from the old life, take off that old clothing and that old identity and walk in the newness of Jesus Christ that your heart wouldn't be hard, that you wouldn't be ignorant, that that you wouldn't live a life of of promiscuity, which is what the text is saying. And not just promiscuous in a sexual sense, but promiscuous in a whole sense of a lack of self-control. Are we not as a society defined by a lack of self-control? If I haven't belabored football enough, last night before going to bed, I watched the documentary on Johnny Manziel. Some of you may know who he is, some of you may not, but... Johnny Manziel basically is the guy who uh, awakened, if you will, Texas A&M, was a wonderful, uh, amazing, talented quarterback, blew up that program, become, became ultra famous, and literally they called him Johnny Football. Right? His literal nickname was Football, Johnny Football. And if you followed his career in any way whatsoever, you'll know he was tremendously talented on the field, but his life off the field was a complete disaster. He was drafted by the Browns, later let go, But if you watch that documentary, you'll find that his life is exactly this life that Paul is telling us not to walk in. Sensuality, greed, pride, more money, more popularity. As Romans 1 would basically say, full perversion. His life was fully perverted. And he even says it in the film. He says, I had everything. I had all the money I needed. I had all the women that I wanted. I had all the drugs that I wanted. I had all the friends and all the celebrities. 
hanging out with guys like LeBron James and all kinds of different rappers and celebrities. Drake, at one point, if you know who he is, even said, I think I'll be friends with Johnny forever. I think we'll be buddies forever, it says in the documentary. Today, Johnny Manziel's not in football. He doesn't have a job. He lives with his parents because he's walking in a spirit of futility. His mind is darkened. His heart is closed off to the things of God. What Johnny needs is one of us to drive to wherever he's living and to share with him the goodness and transformative power of Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the, the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the Spirit is against the flesh. These are in opposition of one another. Literally what Paul is saying in Galatians, and what I believe he's saying in Ephesians when he tells us to not walk like the Gentiles walk, is he's letting us know there is transformative power in the gospel. I hope you're hearing the invitation this morning that Jesus wants to take off the dirty rags that you're living in. He wants to open up your mind, soften your heart, and place upon you his robes of righteousness. There's another place in Scripture it's become, it's become to mean quite a bit to me. It literally says that there's a way of life that does not lead to transformative power. And one of those ways, uh, literally, uh, it's out of Colossians 2 as well. Again, sister passage of Ephesians. Let me read it to you. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. I think in our context, we could almost say, let no one defraud you from understanding the clothing that you actually have in Jesus, what you're actually spiritually wearing. Don't let anyone do that to you. Don't let anyone steal from you the righteous clothing that God has given you. And it's interesting what he adds to this. Because in the text, he begins to say, by delighting in self-abasement, the worship of angels and taking his stand on visions he has seen inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. He says in here, he's saying, don't let anyone take prize from you by actually being a part of self-abasement. He, he adds to it actually later in that particular text. And he says, some of us would say in verse 21, some of us would say, hey, hey, don't handle, don't touch, don't taste, don't do these things. If you just keep yourself pure, you will be totally a-okay. He goes on and says, listen, some of these things, they seem like they have the appearance of wisdom, but they're actually self-made religion and it's self-abasement and severe treatment of the body because that has no value against fleshly indulgences. I don't know if you're hearing what he's saying, but let me just break it apart for you a little bit. He's saying there's a way to live life if you're fighting against sin, if you feel ashamed and filled with guilt. There's a way of trying to get rid of that guilt that does not work, that actually leads, as he says, to self, more fleshly indulgence, leads to more sin. And that is to beat yourself up. That's what self-abasement is. Self-abasement is to devalue yourself. And one of the, the things that I struggle with even as a pastor is I, I need you to hear that sin is ugly and sin is gross and sin will kill you and sin will murder you. And, and at times I even need to share with you, hey, you're a sinner. But, but what Ephesians is trying to do more than anything else is to share with you the reality, this great reality that in Christ, clothed in Christ, you're not a sinner anymore. You're a saint. You're born again. You're a new creature. You have a new identity. You have a new walk of life. And how dare, uh, how dare we diminish the power of the cross by beating ourselves up when it is Christ who's taken the crucifixion, Christ who's taken the beating, Christ who's bled for us. How do we walk in this newness of life? Not by beating yourselves up, but by seeing the one who was beat up for you. 
And this is exactly as we begin to start taking, well, how do I really put on this clothing? How do I really change? And the way that you really change is by going back to school. Are you ready? The way you actually change that clothing is by going to school. And anybody who's ever been to school, and I hope all of you have gone to school, you know that unless you're homeschooled, it's every day of the normal work week, yeah? If you're homeschooled, it's like Tuesdays. <clears throat> My kids are homeschooled, I can say that. Tuesdays are busy though, aren't they, Court? Don't judge me. Listen to what he says. Listen, he, you don't walk like the Gentiles. You gotta do some putting off and some putting on. Well, how do we do that? Look at, look at what he says. It, it's really clear here. Verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. He goes on, assuming that you have heard about him and you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. This is so cool. Uh, to see this kind of stuff when I study, it just, I love it. Because what he's saying is you gotta go back to school. And when you go back to school, if you're reading that in the context that I'm sharing it in, what is he literally saying? He's saying, you have to go to school. And what is the school? It says it's in Christ. That's not what you've learned in Christ. The school building itself is Christ. You walk into the school and you sit down at the desk of Christ because you're in the school of Christ. And who's the teacher? Christ is the teacher. You walk into the school. Who happens to be your teacher and your instructor? Jesus is your teacher and your instructor. And, instructor. and what's his subject matter? Himself. He's the subject matter, he's the school, and he's the school teacher. Do you see it? The mature person in Christ understands that the job of the Christian, the job of the Christian heart is to get into Christ, to learn from Christ, to walk with Christ, to be with Christ, to put attention on Christ, to worship Christ. It's Christ alone who saves us. Do we have any, any way of making this more complicated? We make it more complicated all the time. And literally what the text is telling us that if you're going to put on new clothing and new righteousness, you have to just continue to come to the person of Christ. And this happens every single day, by the way. You got to go to school every day, Christian. Remember when Jesus washes the disciples' feet and Peter initially says, no, I'm not going to let you wash my feet because you're Jesus. And then Jesus says, if you don't let me wash your feet, then you have nothing to do with me. And then Peter comes back and goes, okay, well then wash my whole body. And then Jesus says, you don't, your body's clean. It's only your feet that need to be washed. And it's an important language in, in there because what he's essentially saying is that the Christian has been made clean by their faith in Christ. But as you walk through the world and you get bombarded by all the things that are on the internet and bombarded by all the things that are on the news and bombarded by all of the negativity from your friends and your coworkers, every day you need to go home, walk into the school of Christ, be taught by Christ and to hear from Christ that you are washed clean by him. You know why some of you are so anxious and so depressed and so angry? Because you spend too much time watching the news and not enough time hearing from Christ your Savior. Some of you just need to shut the TV off. Turn off the politician. Turn off whatever the election cycle is and worship your Lord and Savior and he's gonna change the world through you. He will change the world through people who focus on the Lord 
who understand that it's time for us to change our clothes. He says, put off in verse 22. This is what we do inside the school of Christ. We put off the old man every single day. We have to be reminded, I am valuable. Do you know that, saint? Do you know that? You are valuable to the Lord. Self-abasement is to devalue yourself. You are valuable to the Lord. You put off that old man. The old man is invaluable. He's not valuable anymore. He's dead. He's in the grave. He's died with Christ. And you need to put on the new man. That term to put off means to disrobe that which is old, that which is decrepit, that which is worn out, that which is useless. Put it away. It's not serving you well anymore. Can you hear that this morning? Some of us as Christians are still living in self-abasement. Though we are saved, we still walk in self-abasement. We've devalued ourselves. And because of that, we're only still stuck in our sin and our shame and our guilt. And you need to be reminded of the clothing that Christ has placed upon you on the cross so that you would be renewed, it says. Because we need to renew our thinking every flippin' day, don't we? I know I do. Romans says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Is that a sneeze or a dog? <laughs> God bless you. Or go outside. <laughs> Colossians tells us in chapter 3, verse 1, again, it's the sister book of, of Ephesians. If you've placed your faith and you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things of earth, for you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And this is where I wish I had the power of the Holy Spirit. I wish I could get you to feel this, to know this, but I don't have that power. I have to rest on God's word that as I read this, that you are to set your mind upon him. He's your teacher. He's a good teacher. He has scarred hands and a, a scar on his side and on his feet from all of the punishment that he took so you don't have to beat yourself up anymore. One pastor says, in other words, since we've taken off the old and we've put on the new, we must put away sin practically, daily, continually. We must live different since we are a new people. As Stott, the great theologian, says, summarize, he summarizes this view by saying, it is because we have already put off our old nature. Do you hear that? You, you, in faith, you've put off the old nature already. And that decisive act of repentance called conversion, that we now can logically be commanded to put away all these practices which belong to that old rejected life. As Corinthians says, we should not ever lose heart though our outer self is wasting away. That's why I needed a new Bible. My eyes are, are, are deteriorating. I got a weird click in my knee I never had before. Got a little weird crink in my back. Some of you would say, oh, just wait, Pastor Jesse. Just wait. But what this passage tells us in Corinthians is that our outer self is wasting away, but our inner self is being renewed day to day. Don't wake up and say, oh, poor my body. Wake up with vigor, knowing that your soul is refreshed just as his mercies are new every single morning. You are valuable to the Lord. Take off that old junk. Put on his new covering and his new clothing. 
And don't let anybody, don't let anybody devalue you because you were made in the image of God and he loves you deeply. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we know that living in the new self requires us to be deliberate, requires us to have an ongoing commitment to put off the old ways, Lord, to put off those old ways and to put on the transforming power of Christ, that through your indwelling spirit, Lord, our minds can be renewed. You can enable us to reflect your righteousness and holiness. So, Lord, let us actively participate in this process, continually growing in our Christ-likeness and living out our calling, Lord, with integrity, love, and grace. May our lives, Lord, be a testimony to the power of the gospel and a source of light in a world that is engulfed by darkness. May we imagine living in this newness, and allowing it, Lord, to change the people around us. For you alone have that power. We trust you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. Will you guys stand with me as we worship with this last song? Just a declaration that his spirit's strong in us and he never fails us.